Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Dre, we're a week away, man. Pitchers and catchers start reporting in about just about a week, man. Season's just about around the corner. It's amazing how this is the time of year where physicals and just people walking out of a park from a parking lot to an entrance will get people excited about baseball. But we're only a few days away from that. I remember it brings like memories of a few years ago when Ichiro was showing up. And I remember I remember all the Japanese media camped out. Yeah. Just the second that car pulled in, it was Christmas. It was like you know, all the all the pictures snapping away. They wanted to get every little step, every little movement. There's no Ichiro anymore, but baseball's back. Yeah, baseball definitely is back. Again, pitchers and catchers who are participating in the World Baseball Classic report on Monday, February 13th. The rest of pitchers and catchers report February 16th, three days later. And then five days after that, February 21st, the first full squad workout. So, again, things are going to start picking up. And with that, this podcast, this episode this week, we're going to basically start looking at storylines to watch, things to look forward to or to keep up that we're going to be keeping our eyes on throughout the month and a half of spring training until opening day at the end of March when the Marlins host the New York Mets. Uh, And I mean, there are a couple very obvious storylines that are going to be taking place throughout the beginning. And obviously the first one we'll start with Skip Schumacher, obviously first camp as a manager, first camp overseeing the Marlins. And really he's just going from, one end of the complex to the other after being the bench coach for the Cardinals last year. So he already knows at least the area where he'll be in Jupiter, just being on the other side of it. But interest, it'll be cool to see exactly what Skip's coaching style is going to be, his philosophy, how he interacts with guys during camp, and really to see what he does and how he adds his own flair after seeing what – after Don Mattingly has had the post for the last seven years. Yeah, I mean, like you said, yeah, the other side is like, this is what the other side of the building looks like. Uh, but yeah, he comes from a winning franchise. I mean, the Cardinals, you know, whether they win the World Series or not, it's that tier of, of franchise of, of ball club that the Marlins are trying to get to, right? I mean, they've been trying for a while now, but that's the that's the level you want to be at, the one that's always in contention where every year at the start, there's an expectation to win, you know, to win big, maybe win a championship, all of that. So we'll see. We'll see what kind of qualities he uh, he brings to to this young roster, which is still relatively young roster. I mean, there's some veterans sprinkled in. We saw them make up obviously a few acquisitions, um, some guys with experience, but there are still a lot of not just maybe young but unproven talent that is getting their first crack at the big leagues or or still kind of developing at the big league level. So and, and even some of the most talented ones. I mean, you know, even let's say and say a Jazz Chisholm, who we're going to talk about a lot. You know, he's still relatively young in his career. He's still coming into his own. Still, and and what a, and that's another big storyline. I'm, I'm skipping ahead a few pages here, but you know that's the other big storyline is how he's going to move into the center in the center field spot, and uh, with a lot of confidence, but also hardly any, if any, experience playing it. So, how does he handle that dynamic for for you know for one example? But we'll see. I mean, again, we know the managerial job is not so much the decision-making as much as it is the clubhouse and kind of like keeping the team on the right path. So let's see how, let's see how Skip uh, can handle it. 
Yeah, and since you mentioned Jazz, let's just jump right into him. Uh, as you mentioned and has been, has been reported over the last month or so, Jazz is going to be moving to center field after being a middle infielder his entire career. And I should say, Jazz, the cover man of MLB The Show 2023, which, again, from the flair and personality, I understand that standpoint, but it also was, I'll just say on that line, I was semi-surprised that he was a guy just because of the fact that he still hasn't, isn't that proven commodity. I mean, we saw the last few were Shohei Otani last year and Fernando Tatis the year before. Aaron Judge was on it a few years back. And it's, you saw the guys who had the, had sort of begun to, had already had the established portion of their career done by the time they got there. Obviously, Jazz has the personality and the flair and the makeup to be a cover guy. But when it's coming off of his second full season as a big leaguer and a season where he only played 60 games, just from the experience perspective, it was, it caught me by surprise. But from the, but then again, when you look at the other end of it, just if you're looking for guys who are going to be the flair, the passion, the, uh, the entertainment side of it, he's, he was a logical candidate for that. Yeah. Well, that's what it is. I mean, he's, he's got that it, right? I mean, whether he, we're still in that phase to see how, just how good of a player he's going to be, but. He's fun to watch. He's exciting in terms of his athleticism, his personality. Very, you know, will get your attention. Let's put it that way. And yeah, it is impressive to see because, again, you know, we're in a market that right now, you know, for baseball. But yes, it's a very, it's, it's very interesting because this market, you know, everyone comes down here to train. Everybody, stay, you know, a lot of a lot of players live here. But the team itself, as we know, hasn't been very good for a while now. So you're not going and getting a guy who's on a contending team necessarily. But it was good in the sense that yeah, baseball didn't look at that as you know the end all of it when they were picking. They they went with a young, marketable player that could be has the potential to be you know a star in this league if he continues to develop and stay healthy. And all those factors go his way. This is going to be a big season for him because he is going to be, especially with that with that change of spot. I mean, there's going to be a lot of eyes on him. There are a lot of eyes on him already. I'm not, I know when you when national people have talked about storylines, not just down here, but when national people have talked about some of the storylines, when you go beyond who might win the World Series and what's up with the Yankees, Aaron Judge, et cetera, et cetera, one of the ones being mentioned is him. So that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. Though. Yeah, no, again, if he stays healthy, he's a guy who has the chance to be part of that rare 40-40 club, 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases. Right. Yeah, and again, he has the speed, he has the power, he has the pizz- he has the pizzazz. Mm-hmm. And in terms of center field, uh, I had the chance Monday, Marlon's been doing events basically around South Florida to get everybody excited about FanFest on Saturday. On Monday, the two guys who were available were uh, Juan Pierre and John Jay. Juan Pierre and Jazz, they've had a basically a working relationship away from the team for a couple years now. Uh, I remember the begin, very beginning of spring training last year, uh, Jazz was working with Juan Pierre before games began on basically as basic the basics of bunting and just figuring out timing at the plate and just building a relationship with a guy who has a very good rapport for just all-around baseball skills. And now that Jazz is moving to center field, Juan Pierre was a perfect person for him to work with in the offseason for learning how to how to shy fly balls, how to figure out tracking, how to figure out different ways to 
to handle everything, how the how the backtrack, how the also just the endurance side of it from having to do a lot more running compared to second base and shortstop where you go, the ball gets hit, you take two or three steps, you get the ball and you throw it. Whereas in the outfield, going to be running a little bit more. So he has to figure out how to balance everything with his legs in addition to how much he goes all out when he's at the plate and going around the base paths and everything. So Juan Pierre has been able to help him out on that front. And then John Jay, he's mentioned he's been working very closely with Jazz, Jorge Soler, and Officer Garcia. All three have been in Miami all offseason. So he's been working with all of them since being officially hired back in December. So they've been work, all been working together for about five weeks now to get that rapport and get that the communication and get the understanding of different lingo and terminology and whatnot so that when they get to spring training in two weeks, they're going to be able to hit the ground running. And the basics from John Jay, he said that obviously Jazz is still learning all the intricate details, the the different different things about positioning and whatnot, but it's a matter of just time and reps at, that, at this point. And the basics of understanding and asking questions and making adjustments when John Jay points something out to Jazz have been have gone very well throughout these first couple weeks. And now it's a matter of seeing it translate once it goes into the game settings. It's pretty cool personally though to see John Jay here on that staff. I'll just say I'd say that yeah. because I mean I remember, you know, I, I was starting out kind of uh I was in my first few years at the Herald when when he was uh, still at Columbus. And I you know he's always one of those guys that, you know, me and a uh, former Miami Herald writer, good friend of mine, Manny Navarro, used to, you know, he'd always see us. And the first thing he'd want to talk about was Columbus baseball or high school baseball, how, 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 you know, who's good, who's still, you know, all that kind of thing. I mean, he still plugged in. Like, he still would, would know kind of who some of the top kids, some of the top teams were. But he wanted to kind of, like, see what we thought and chit-chat and, you know – I just think it's interesting, like, since he retired, like, now this transition from the coaching, it seems like it's it's working for him. And I think it's, it's, he's developing kind of that knowledge because he had a pretty lengthy career in the in the pros. And if he can, you know, instill some of that in these guys, some of the, the right things to do on the field, off the field, all that, should be a good addition. And, again, he comes again, you know, he, he absorbed that experience, too, both as a player and a coach from that Cardinal system. So with him and then going back to what you were saying about JP, I mean, I'm, I'm always going to speak, speak highly of JP, especially when it comes to the quality of work ethic. I mean, he's jazz or or any of them are never going to have a better example that when it comes to that, than him, I mean, this is the guy who, you know, I, I, the way, Joe Fursaro would always put it, the guy who revolutionized the way it came to work with the Marlins back in the day. Like, he was out there before the sun came up. He was out there, like, significantly time before the the sun came up. If you heard the the bats going in the cages, that was JP. And that, back then, was a a great example for players. And now, he's not going to be hitting in the cages, but but he's out there. And he's teaching any chance he can get. And that, I think, in the last few years, has been a very valuable one. I think we'll continue to do for a guy like Jazz and for any of those actors. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now to move on to a few of the other topics. A uh, few top prospects that are going to be part of Big League Camp as non-roster invites. The main three that stick out to me, uh, Yuri Perez, that's the no-brainer choice there. Uh, I mean, consensus top 10 pit, top 10 prospect across all of Everybody's baseball. Nice. Everybody that's been paying attention is sitting there like this, just 
to see that see that kid start throwing some pitches off the mound in games. Yeah, I mean, if, you have, if they haven't already. Yeah, no. Again, he's been. I've only had the chance to see him in person. I believe twice. One of them being a rehab assignment in Jupiter last year, and still six eight six nine has high nineties fastball, a change, a solid changeup, and a solid breaking ball. All again, he doesn't turn twenty until April, and he's already basically he's gonna be he's essentially he's, he's gonna be starting in AAA this year and being on the cusp of making making it to the big leagues. He's going to be so much fun to watch. He worked out and basically did all of his training or a bunch of his training this offseason with Sandy Alcantara down in South Florida. It helps the two of them. They share the same agent, so it made sense for the two of them to to connect and just basically, again, there's in terms of people on the Marlins staff for a pitcher, there's probably no one better to learn from than Sandy. So to see what's – I'll be happy to see what Yuri learned from Sandy this offseason, what he's able to apply in his first – Big league camp. And then two other guys of note on my mind. Uh, Dax Fulton, lefty, was the second, the Marlins' second round pick in the 2020 draft. Uh, six, 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 seven lefty, fastballs in the mid 90s, uh, has a really solid curveball and an improving changeup. Uh, he's, again, sort of like for me, the lefty and slightly below prospect tier version of Yuri in terms of just the size and the makeup. And then Jacob Berry, the first-round pick from last year, is also going to be part of camp this year. So three very high-end prospects, all of whom are on at least one different top 100 prospect list, whether it's MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, The Athletic, or ESPN. Every one of them is on at least one. Yuri, obviously, is across the board on all of them. And so it's three big names to watch. And with the World Baseball Classic happening the back half of spring, probably going to get a little bit more chance to see some of these guys more so than usual during spring training yeah i think so because obviously you gotta fill some of those innings and grapefruit league games and they're gonna have plenty of chances for sure because the, some of these guys the martins are actually in a position to have uh, quite a few guys you know spread out playing for different countries so with that in mind yeah this is one of those unique camps like, like it was you know six years ago where you when Stanton and Yelich and those guys were away. You know, a lot of the guys trying to fight for spots or maybe just trying to get in with the organization had a good had a much better opportunity to impress, you know, without having to just be on the backfields the whole time. So you're gonna see that a lot with some of these guys. And it's good. You get a chance to really see Jacob a little more Jacob Barry. You know, anytime you can get a look at one of your the first rounders that you've invested in and see where they're at in their development put them in real as many realistic situations as possible and and Dax Fulton ever since they got him I know he was coming off that injury the the, the belt his 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 comeback from that and in development since then I'm curious to see where that is at with him and how much and in fact he's going to make how much of a jump he's going to be able to make this season so he's definitely another one that's penciled in on my radar like I definitely want to see that yeah, and on the flip side of the WBC part of it, it'll be interesting to see how Skip Schumacher handles that when basically the back half of camp, which is when you're trying to have things figured out in terms of situational stuff and having roster continuity, when you're going to have guys like Sandy, who's most likely going to be gone for most of the back half of camp, depending on how far Dominican Republic goes. Uh, John Birdie, Dan Castano, most oh, likely oh, being part oh, of Team oh, Italy. Oh, Oh, they're going to yeah. go far, my friend. Yeah. I think oh, I they're know. really going to go far. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, potentially Jesus Lazardo and Luis Arise with Venezuela, seeing with them being possibly being there. 
uh, that's uh, Gene Zagura could potentially be part of the DR team. If I remember correctly, he was part of the their initial 50 man. They haven't announced the formal rosters yet, but you potentially are without two of your top pitchers, two of your two of your main four infielders, your utility guy, and you're trying to figure out getting things ready, especially with Segura basically supposed to be playing third base and not knowing how much, not being able to see him up, up close in person if he is with DR. And obviously Sandy being not under Mel super under Mel supervision for the back half of camp and making sure that he's getting ready the way that they want him to before opening day. It's a lot of moving parts that makes him first year managers first camp just adds another wrinkle to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the WBC, it's you, that's where you hope that it's guys that have enough experience already that know how to build themselves up properly for the season. Now, the dynamic with that is, which has always been an interesting thing, not just this year, but since this event came into being, was you you're in that mode where you're you're building up innings. I'll just use the pitcher example. You're building up innings, but in that setting. You want to win so bad. I mean, it's like a playoff game. It literally is like a playoff game. And take it up an intensity that, you know, especially like those Latin American countries, like they feel it. You know what I mean? Like they really want that. And so you're playing high-level, intense, emotional baseball in March when you're building up. So not just Sandy, but anybody, how do you balance that as you're getting ready stay healthy you want to kick it up but you don't want to kick it up to 100 because then you're gonna to have to kind of bring it back down a bit for the actual season i mean you get jacked up i mean sandy would then come back and go opening day and you know he's gonna be jacked up for that but you but then you have to go from revving it all up for like a quick sprint trying to win it for your country to okay now i'm putting myself in a position where i get ready for the marathon now you know of the season and whatnot so and that can be a little dangerous too in terms of your your endurance, your conditioning. Now we know Sandy as you you were the one the ones that documented that thoroughly last year. We know he's a workout freak and he, he's very good at maintaining his body. He's been so far in his career. So it, this is a year that's really gonna test that. So he needs to keep that going for sure. But other guys too, other guys too that are gonna be in the field, you know, also I mean you're gonna have guys that wanna make the diving play in the in the clutch inning for you know to try and win a championship or try to move your country on to the next round. Everyone's kind of holding their breath. And again, you brought it up I think last week or the week before about the Prado example. We saw what happened. That changed this that, that pretty much started the beginning of the end of his career and that after that injury playing for Venezuela. So there's that risk factor too. So we'll we'll see how all that gets gets handled. Yeah. And uh, two more topics before we wrap up this episode. Uh, with the starting rotation, we already know, we basically know who four of the guys are going to be between Sandy, Lazardo, Cabre Edward Cabrera, and Johnny Cuello. Again, all health permitting if everyone comes out of camp as expected. That last spot is most likely going to be one of Trevor Rogers or Braxton Garrett to give you that second lefty. My gut would say that it's gonna, Trevor will get the lead, will get, will basically go in as the front runner just because of. Again, he has more of a track record, even though, although Braxton did have a very solid year the, when he was up in the big leagues in 2022. But the one dark horse candidate, and again, this is basically seeing what happens after not pitching for two years, what to make of Sixto Sanchez, because we're basically running out of time with 
trying to figure out anything with him. And the Marlins need to know what they have in him and if they have anything in him. So what hap- this is probably the most crucial spring for Sixto Sanchez just to show health, if more, if nothing else. Again, he hasn't pitched in a live game since 2020 playoffs, got injured right at the tail end of 2021 spring. Uh, and then the 20, and then uh, last year was did very minimal the start of camp and then basically got shut down and never pitched again. So we're going on two full, we're going on two and a half years here now. And do the Marlins have something? If so, it gives them another sneaky good weapon in a rotation that's already the strength of this team. If not, it's a matter of when do they. When do they make a decision to say, okay, we need to figure out what we're doing with him long-term? There was once a dream of a, of a Dominican rotation of Sandy, him, Edward Cabrera, just blanking people left and right. And then, yeah, well, if I, I mean, that's now it's, now it's almost morphed into Yuri Perez being in there somewhere down the road pretty soon. But yeah, I mean, uh, not not only does the Marlins playoff year, the blip year, seem like a hundred years ago. It seems like that start at Wrigley and that catching him catching fire the way he did for those few months seems like a hundred years ago. And I mean, it must feel like a thousand years ago to him, you know, without he's been trying to get back and trying to get some semblance of his, you know, strength and being able to get on the mound again consistently. So, so yeah, hopefully. He may never be the same, but hopefully at least can get his career going again, you know, and not just for the team, even for himself. I mean, this kid had a lot of potential. He was, he was it. He was it. Like, not just now. I mean, I'm going back to when he was in Philly. People thought that people had big, big expectations, big hopes for him because he had the tools. But now, you know, how broken are those tools, you know? I mean, we know they are, but how bad is you know, beyond repair or, like you said, I mean, let's see if this, is gonna, this is going to be the telling season for him to kind of see if he can get back in any sort of capacity and, and make a major league career out of it. Yeah, so, and the latest on him at this point, he has been throwing bullpen sessions in Jupiter. Uh, he's going, I've seen video or at least brief clips of two or three different sessions. I know Nick Fortes caught one of them a few weeks back talking about it and said that he looked loose and fluid, which, again, for and also based off photos, we see him, he slimmed down. So that's a good starting point, but now it's the matter of well, that's what happens. Now it's also, but now it's the matter of what happens when he takes the next step and he's facing yeah. hitters because no, that's, that's where big. everything happens. Yeah, it definitely is. Because, but the thing is he, for him. His, yeah, yeah, some of his issues have been fitness. I mean, there's no yeah. denying it, you know, and, and so if he is, in, if he's going to be, if he's in the best shape he's been in maybe in the last, three, four years or whatever, that's going to help. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, the main thing to see is what happens when he's in those intent, the situation where the adrenaline picks up when he's finally facing hitters again, how he balances again, doing what he needs to for his routine and not getting too amped up to the point where he can have a setback. That's basically what happened last year. He got through to the point where he got to, I think it was one session of live batting practice. And then basically had to restart his entire cycle because he had a setback because he went too hard. So it's a matter of seeing what happens once he gets into the non-controlled settings 
of just, okay, you're throwing your 20-pitch bullpen session. We'll see you in three days. Okay, you're throwing 25 pitch today. You're going to mix your change up in a little bit. We'll see you in two. We'll see you in two days so you can do this again. When he actually goes up and has to start game planning and facing guys and everything gets jacked up and the intensity is there and he wants to try to show that he's the old Sixto Sanchez before all this happened. If when he gets to that point, does he crack again? Or does he get to the point where he's able to sustain it and get through to the next progressions that we haven't seen in two years. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole package. It's, a, it's not, it's from, from a physical standpoint to the mental standpoint to all of that, everything you just said, I mean, it's, we, we want to see something because it was, it, it, it kept only to a point and then a hiccup only to a point, boom, then back. And not to make fun of it or not to make light of it, but it was like all the updates we'd get were it was like remember, it was just it was yeah, it was the distance. It was like, okay, what distance is it now? Is it ever gonna get to the point where we're not talking about throws from a from a certain distance? Is it gonna be actual pitching? So good to hear. Good to hear. Let's hope that that's not, you know, that that's you know accurate and that it continues on that path forward. Yeah. And then to wrap things up, uh the other priority outside of adding to the offense and looking at the rotation of uh, the back end of the bullpen, uh, the Marlins, we didn't get in uh, in between the last episode. Now the Marlins acquired uh, Matt Barnes from the Boston Red Sox in exchange for Richard Blyer. And now with Barnes here, uh, Marlins basically have four realistic options for their seventh, eighth, ninth innings. And for me, it looks like it's one of Barnes or Dylan Floro is going to be at this point going to be the main guy for the closer. Whichever one of them isn't the closer pairs with Tanner Scott for a righty lefty options in the eighth inning. And then you have Steven Oakert in the seventh lefty who basically is great. Who's held his own against both lefties and righties gives you those four options. It gives you four options for your high leverage situations. And at the very least you have on paper, three guys in Floro Barnes and Scott who over the last three years have been in the closer role and gives you guys who have handled the ninth inning, some better than others, but you have three guys who at least know what it's like to be in the ninth inning versus each of the last few years, basically finding a guy who was in seventh, eighth innings from other teams, primarily the Dodgers, and then moving them to a closer role, seeing how they handle it. And then them finally figuring it out by season's end. Now, at least on paper, they have guys who have been there before. I'll say like I did last year. I mean, let's hope that, Let's hope that this uh, this matters enough that they're getting the chances, you know what I mean? Because yeah. the team, obviously, if they're not in situations where they're in a position to win, then it doesn't really matter who's closing, I guess, or that is what some people might say. But remember, I mean, I'm not saying it would have made like a massive, massive difference, but it did make a difference because if you're talking about a team, if this truly does become a team that, let's say, you know, is more competitive, is capable of winning X amount more games than they did last year. These are the swing games when you're not blowing leads, when you're nailing these down. That Let's say you nail down eight to ten more of these than you did before. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it'll be that drastic of a difference to push it toward potentially being a contender for the playoffs. But... You won't be a 65 
the 70 win team anymore. Now you're talking a little closer to that 500 mark, maybe, or who knows. It does. It does matter. It does matter to a to a degree. It does matter because of Duke. And this is something that hasn't been stabilized, hasn't been figured out fully in a few years now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and 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 not they're not the only one. There are several teams out. Bullpen's always a you know kind of a, a work in progress for a lot of clubs, unless you have a, maybe like a proven closer that has been there already, had that job, and is reliable year in year out, which there aren't many. But this. This this team in particular has struggled with settling that for at least a couple of years now. So it would be good to see if there's someone that they can kind of hand the keys to a little bit, stabilize the role a little bit, and 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 not just the closer role, but some of these setup roles. Too. Yeah, yeah. And again, remember, 64 one run games last year. More, right. More than a third Sorry. of their more of their more than a third of their games last year were, were one run games. Granted, not all one run games are created equal. Some are. You're down by four. You rally for three in the ninth and then lose. Yeah, but some, you have, some but they've had, but, yeah. but you still, again, they've played a lot of games that came down to potentially one way or the other how things happened in those last couple innings. No, and, so and, as and, great and, as the rotation is, you do need that back end of, right. of the bullpen to be ready and to have guys who are able to handle those roles. And, and you say one run games because of the end result, but there's a lot of games where it was five three, four to two. You know, late whether that that means them being up four to two or them being down four to two, where a stable pen, even when let's say in, let's say in that situation you're down four to two, a stable pen keeps it four to two, yeah. keeps it four to two, and then who knows, maybe you get that rally at the end. You know, on average, you know that's going to happen a lot. So maybe if a percentage of that goes your way because you have that more reliable pen, again, sprinkle in a couple more wins here and there. So all of that, all of that went against them last year if they finally can get some stability there maybe it starts to go their way or at least the percentages get more in their favor that at that point yep, no doubt about it and we're going to be looking at all of this over the course of the next month and a half uh that's going to do it for this week's episode of fish bites uh we'll be back again next week after the first day of world baseball classic pitchers and catchers up in jupiter and after that we'll be doing episodes weekly leading up to the season. So for that, for, for Andre Fernandez, I'm Jordan McPherson. Thanks so much again, everyone, and we'll see you again next week.